Today's episode of the Goldcast is sponsored by how batshit crazy this free agency has been. My God, is this? We basically we weren't even, we weren't even planning on gold casting tonight, but this news of Russell Westbrook is so crazy that Candlestick Will got it. What sent us a text that hey, we got to go on. We've got to talk about everything that's happened in this offseason. It's just so insane. But before we do that, Raymond, why don't you let them know where can they find us? You can like us on Facebook.com slash The Goldcast, and you can also follow us on iTunes, Instagram, and Stitcher, all under the same moniker of The Goldcast, as well as Twitter at The underscore Goldcast. Like, subscribe, and comment because we love to hear from you. And we have a new host to join us in all of those comments and when we go off and share some of the, uh, the feedback that we get from you guys. So it'll be a, a new take on that segment of the show. Awesome. And Raymond, where can they find you? I'm on Twitter at Ray Solis and on Instagram at Ray Solis one Candlestick Will, where can they find you? They can find me on Twitter at, guess what, Candlestick Will. Boom. And you can find me on Instagram at Rudy Solis 3 and on Twitter at Rudy Solis 3RD. All right. This is just a straight NBA free agency insanity podcast it's just it is the we talked about it a little bit at the end of, of the last episode that i that i recorded on tuesday my solo episode but it's just so crazy we had we had to get on and talk about it again this is just an unprecedented era for the nba and it's it's pretty crazy and of course it affects the warriors as well so sit back relax your professors of fanalism are here classes in session let's go san francisco are you ready this is the Gold Cast. Boom! Welcome to another edition of the Gold Cast. We are the voice of the Bay. I'm your host, Rudy Solis III, and with me is my brother, my co-host, Raymond Solis the First, baby, and our esteemed co-host. Yes, boom! In the building, here we go. Okay, so I'm gonna start. I'm going to start, and then I'm just I'm going to pass it off. I know Candlestick Will. I know you're chomping at the bit to, to get out there, so I'm going to let you loose here in a second. I'm just sitting here in my car on my way to gross to go grocery shopping, and then Bleacher Report sends out this this the big message that Russell Westbrook has been reunited with James Harden in Houston. He is on the Houston Rockets again, once again, just. Another mind-blowing player being traded or leaving or going to another team. This NBA free agency is unprecedented. I have never seen anything like this ever. It is insane. So, Candlestick, well, why don't you start us off? Because you've been you've been going crazy on this on Twitter all about this. Why don't you break this down for for the people? Um, It's holy shit balls is be my first reaction. It's it's. it's just further proof that the NBA is just the best league in the whole wide world for what people tend to love about Twitter in general and sports talk in general, because this doesn't happen in the NFL. This doesn't happen in major league baseball. I don't, I don't think it happens in hockey. I don't see any other sport, you know, even in soccer, it's just like all the best teams just buy their guys like these kind of trades and, and all these things that are happening all the time, every off season. And this is and now it's just getting you know more extreme this year, but I mean these kind of trades are just 
mind blowing to think that just just when you think the league's been shifted, it gets shifted three more times. You know, LeBron gets Anthony Davis, and it's like, wow, that actually did really happen. Okay, now the Lakers are going to be formidable. Then the Clippers get what the Clippers get, and, and and Brooklyn gets what Brooklyn gets, and the Celtics look dead, and then they get Kemba Walker, and then the Sixers add Al Horford, and it's like, so all these teams are just moving around pieces, and you're like, oh my god. Then then our then the Warriors get D'Angelo Russell, and it's like, well, we lost a ramp, but we add an All Star. Like this just doesn't happen. Like if the baseball team loses an All Star, they have to hope that some of their Triple A guys can step in. Like this, the the. The, this kind of pace is just insane to me. So for Chris Paul and Russell Westbrook to suddenly swap, it's just like, it's almost like we knew this was going to happen, but how the hell did it happen? You know, at the same time. It is so crazy. Raymond, what are your thoughts? I thought it was over with. I was like, all right, we're just going to kind of get back to normal. Now we'll have, you know, the leftovers move around a bit, you know, player role players, bench players. And sure enough, you know, I think this kind of, adds a little bit of credibility to the reported turmoil between James Harden and Chris Paul earlier in the uh, the free agency, or earlier in the offseason, I should say. Um, I think the playoffs were just ending, or, or towards the tail end. I can't recall when exactly it happened, but I remember Chris Paul saying, oh, that's news to me. But, you know, no player's ever going to say, yeah, that's 100% true. I don't. I hate his guts. You know, no one's ever going to come out and say that. So, you know, it's, it's hard to know which side is, is actually telling the truth. I usually think it falls somewhere in the middle where there's some truth to the journalist, perhaps dramatizing, of course, because that's their job. And then, of course, some truth that perhaps the players did have some sort of disagreement or tiff, what, what have you. But I think it, to me, I, I feel like Houston takes a step back with this trade. Yeah, let's talk about that because now you have two ISO ball-dominant players who are known for sometimes doing nothing on defense. <laughs> so what do you think, Candlestick, Will, what do you, you, Raymond, you say this puts them a step back. Candlestick, what do you, Will, what do you think? Well, they're, they're better than they were with, with Chris Paul coming into this season. Um, I mean, they've got a better player in Westbrook. I think it's, you know, ratcheted up to 11 for the drama potential between Harden and Westbrook. The, everything I've read over the years is that they were always cool. Like all this drama that we've heard, you know, firsthand, secondhand, 12th hand about Westbrook and Durant, you know, when Harden left because he wanted to have a, you know, more prominent role somewhere else and, and ended up getting traded to Houston, it didn't seem like there was any animosity between Harden and Russ. So, it sounds like Harden was pushing for this trade, and so they are friends. So the drama is going to happen on the court because they're two alpha males that need the ball and want the ball. And you know, there's already jokes on Twitter about you know them arguing over who gets to make the, the you know the last pass to get the triple double first, and you know all that kind of stuff. And you know, it's like they're going to be all drama on the court, but they're not going to have the drama off the court probably that. Um, that Harden and CP3 had until they start losing in big games. You know, if, if they when if and when they lose in the playoffs, then it's going to look probably just as bad as it as it did for Houston this year. Um, but Westbrook's a better player right now than than Chris Paul is. Chris Paul's just not the same player he used to be, and Westbrook is still in his prime. So they'll be better. 
just simply because Westbrook's better than Chris Paul, but the there's gonna, there still could be some chemistry issues on the court as far as who's you know who's the point guard, who's the leader, who's the main guy. You know, can Westbrook let Harden keep this being his team, or is Westbrook going to try to go full Westbrook when you know once the court once the once the game starts? Yo, and he's out, historically had a very very difficult time not going full Westbrook. Raymond, tell to explain to the people why do you think this makes them worse? Well, they're volume shooters, so they have to shoot a ridiculous amount. They have to take a ridiculous amount of shots to get the score, the, the, the score results that they typically get. Westbrook is a prolific scorer, and if we're comparing him to Chris Paul, Chris Paul's never topped twenty-two points in a season in his entire career, whereas. Um, Westbrook, you know, Westbrook has been a scoring leader. He's been an MVP, so he's a multi-all-star. But the real big issue to me that stands out is the turnover uh, ratio. Both of these players are um, turnover machines. In fact, um, Harden has led the league in turnovers the last five out of seven years, and Westbrook has been a top 10 uh, turnover machine for the last 10 years, he's been in the top five. He's led the league three times. He's, he's, he's been in second place in that category two of those 10 years. He's been in third place two of those 10 years. He's been in fourth place one of those years. He's been in fifth place one of those years. So both these guys have a well-documented and a very cons- just as consistent as they are scoring. They are equally consistent at turning the ball over. So I'm very curious how that's going to play off because even when Harden wasn't the ball distributor and that task was given to Chris Paul, he still turned over the ball. So regardless of who the point guard is, Harden seems to get rid of the ball, you know, lose the ball, you know, no matter what. But if I'm being fair, they've gotten deep into the playoffs, you know, multiple years in a row with the OKC is obviously an exception. They can't get past the first round with Russell. So maybe they get to that same hump or perhaps challenge it or maybe even get past it with Russell Westbrook. We don't know. We're going to have to find out. But I just think that that kind of statistic with these two alpha males, these two personalities, it to me it seems like a recipe for disaster. I I have no idea. <laughs> I have no idea how this is going to work. I was also really hesitant about Chris Paul mainly from a chemistry side. I the the what does concern me is offensively exactly what you both have touched on is offensively how do these two guys get along on the court? And yeah, who's going to have the ball in the final five seconds when someone needs to take a shot to win the game? Because Westbrook likes to be there, but his his scoring ability is gone down, and he's definitely not at the level he once was. And you still, it's got to go to Harden. But historically, Westbrook hasn't had to really share the team in terms of in terms of offense in a long time, and he he let Paul George take the reins, you know, more last year. But I just still – I'm not entirely sure that he's ready for a full-on transition to let completely let go of the reins and let Harden be the leader. Uh, Candlestick Will, what do you think? I mean, the I would assume that because of these two guys now being there that the Houston Rockets will still look to try to move other guys. Like I'm not sure if P.J. Tucker and Capella and Eric Gordon will still be on the team. Um you know, they might try to swap Eric Gordon for a point guard so that, you know, um, you know, and earn, uh, you know, or just try to, or even just try to bring someone in that can defend, you know, better. Um, 
than than Eric Gordon can, and just try to get some kind of of balance to what they have. Then again, they might choose to keep Gordon and know that because Westbrook is not a great three point shooter and Harden, even though he makes a lot of threes, he has to take a ton of threes to get the numbers that someone like Steph or Clay does. That you know maybe you have to keep Eric Gordon so you have another scorer on the floor. Um, I mean, it's going to be there's going to be a lot of imbalance on on the Rockets, but you know the the West specifically and even some teams in the East, but they're just so top heavy across the board now that it's it's I think it's one of those things where these teams in general are looking like look if we just add elite talent we'll fill we'll fill out the team however and so what's going to happen is a lot of these teams are going to be missing depth come playoff time and so some guys that probably have no business being on the floor are going to be asked to play key minutes for not just the Warriors or the Rockets, but for everybody. Um, you know, the Lakers and the Clippers might look deep on paper, but, you know, a couple injuries or a couple other trades or whatever, and, you know, all these teams could look pretty pretty lean uh, come playoff time. So will there be a, a big buyout market? You know, will there be more trades? There, I'm sure there'll be other big trades, you know, to come, whether it's guys like Steven Adams or guys on the Rockets or, or whoever. I know Miami wants to try to get Chris Paul. So will other teams besides Miami want Chris Paul? Will anyone else want Chris Paul? Um, so as those trades happen, what, you know, what dominoes will happen there? You know, for, just for someone like Steven Adams, will, will he go to a playoff team or will he go to someone that's trying to become a playoff team? You know, that kind of thing. And, you know, who else has the, the cap space to, to bring in pieces? And will those teams want you know, some of these other guys, you know, someone like Roberson, who's a tremendous defender, but he's been injured for the last couple of years. Does a playoff team end up going after him because of his defense? You know, maybe he goes to <clears throat> to Houston in a separate trade to get someone who can defend um, to help out Westbrook and Harden, you know? So I think there's a lot of things that haven't happened yet. That'll still fall. Will Bradley Beal end up getting traded? You know, will some of these other guys who are, have a year or two left, will they end up being the next dominoes to fall? And uh, if someone's willing to take on John Wall's contract, is does him and Beal go somewhere? Um, does Kevin Love get traded from Cleveland? So there's other guys that are you know former All Stars that could end up being on the move too. Totally true. Now with that, Raymond, let me ask you, and then I want to I want to I want you, Candlestick Will, to answer this question too. Raymond, where after all this movement, so much is shaken out. Where do you see the Warriors landing in this? literally like literally we're talking a brand new NBA where, where do the Warriors land right now in the NBA in terms of rank yeah in terms of rank on paper where do you think they stand I mean they're still a top five team in my opinion they've got one of the best defenders in the association in Draymond Green and you've got the best three-point shooter in the entire association in Steph Curry so and you have another one who's going to come back you know arguably in March so the, the, you know, the best shooting backcourt is still there. It's still going to, you know, make an appearance this upcoming season. You know, it's just going to happen a lot later than it ever has before, you know. But if I'm Houston, I think you've got to move one of those other role players now because now you sorely need defense. You can't just run. I mean, you know, D'Antoni's proven one thing, that he's the Don Nelson of his era. So even though their their careers overlap, you know, a lot. But he reminds me of Don Nelson, where he's all offense, no defense, you know, and I get it. Basketball's 80 percent offense, 20 percent defense. But that 20 percent makes a difference between playoff 
deep playoff runs and championships. So you've got to do something if you're Houston. So if I'm a Houston fan, I, I'm kind of torn. I'm, if, if, if I was a Houston fan, I'd be kind of happy, but also kind of like confused at the same time. Cause I'm like, you got, you just got the same personality on your team who does the exact makes the same mistakes, but also can make some of the most tremendous plays just like our other star players. So how do you, how do you balance these two personalities together? Because they're very, very similar and, and not necessarily in terms of how they play, but how their numbers shape up is very similar. They're volume shooters. So I don't know, but as far as the Warriors are concerned, I don't think this really moves the needle much for them. Cause I think that a lot of these movements don't really affect the Warriors too much. I would say the AD has more implications than the Russell Westbrook trade. Uh, but it's kind of it's still kind of a wait and see because there's still pieces like Candlestick Will pointed out. There's still pieces that haven't moved yet, so we need to see how the rest of their depth is going to turn out because they're not done. So I want to see what Chris Paul's movement does for them, and vice versa. You know how how that how that shapes other teams because there's still a bunch of moving parts that are going to shift before the end of this. Candlestick Will, what do you think? Where do the Warriors land now with all this movement? Where where do you where do you have them in rank? Oh, I ha- I had them I had them in the top you know top three or four to be honest when when you know when when the uh, Kawhi Leonard Paul George moves happened because I figured the Clippers were were now the clear favorites that you know you could put the Warriors as high as two um, before today because every other team while they're all exciting on paper, don't necessarily have that much more depth than the Warriors do. And the Warriors are still just as top-heavy as everybody else because Steph and and D'Angelo Russell are still very, very good um, as a a duo compared to all these other new duos that we've seen. Like the teams like Utah and Portland that, you know, everyone's kind of jumping on their bandwagons is like they're going to be the the hot teams and, and the Nuggets as well. It's like the Warriors thumped the Nuggets last year with, you know, Steph and Clay. They can do the same with Steph and Russell. So, you know, I don't, I don't know if the Warriors are any worse than the Rockets or the Jazz or the, or the Blazers and those teams. The Rockets are better, but the Warriors have always beaten the Rockets. They've always beaten, you know, um, on, on Harden. Now, Westbrook, for the most part, doesn't necessarily do great against the Warriors. Obviously, when he had Durant and um, Ibaka and those guys together um, in the 73 win season, that they they nearly beat him. But the Warriors did come back in that series. So a lot of that had to do with the way Westbrook plays in the playoffs and how by the fourth quarter, he's completely tapped out to the, the points that you guys were making before about how you know he's turnover prone and he's a volume shooter that doesn't necessarily make a lot of shots. So those things really hurt when you get into crunch time minutes against good defenses. The biggest thing for the Warriors as far as where they rank in on paper versus reality is going to be their team defense because Draymond is essentially by himself now with Clay out. So their defense take a, is taking a huge hit with Durant. You still have, you still have with, Looney, though. Looney's a very competent right, defender, too. Right, but at, but at the same time, you, you know, Collie Stein can, can be a competent defender, too, against uh, certain centers, and, and Looney's definitely held his own uh, on switches against some elite talent. So they, they have some pieces that can be good, but without Iguodala, without Livingston, without Durant, they are losing a lot of what made them dangerous on defense because of all the switching they could do. They really can't do switches anymore the way they used to. They can't 
just switch on whoever and be fine. The, they're going to have to do some more creative things defensively. They're going to have to do have more help defense than just simply switching no matter who it is. Because the the what made the Warriors so elite defensively was they had so many guys that could do so many different things. And now three of those guys are gone. So it, it's going to be difficult for them to play the same kind of defense they were playing. Now, that doesn't mean they can't still play competent defense, and Ron Adams staying is going to certainly help with that. Yes, but, I saw that. That was great news. I was very but, happy about that. But because, but because of the hard cap, they're not going to necessarily be able to add much to what they have right now. So does that mean that they need to get more from McKinney? Does that mean they need to get some defense from Alec Burks, who's been more of an offensive guy his whole career? My my hope for them, if, if you're looking at from a prism of trying, you know, trying to figure out how the Warriors can be the best they can be, would be someone like Eric Pascal becoming that mini Draymond being a guy who they could just plug in and play quality minutes, I would actually look at with the team they have, they really don't have a starting small forward. So I actually think that if Pascal shows that he can handle it, that he should start for them. Because if you have over, a guy who, Over, uh, he, should, he should start, he should get the starting position? Yeah, that it should be, you know, Steph and Russell with Pascal, Draymond, and then either Stein or Looney, whoever they decide to start. But because the other guys that they, that they could choose from, I mean, they could choose someone like McKinney. They could they could play someone like Burks or Glenn Robinson, the third um, or some of those guys. But, you know, Burks and Robinson are, are more offensive guys. They're better off the bench. Their skill set, they're better fits off the bench. So those two guys and Jordan Poole are guys that make more sense to come off the bench, whereas Pascal is such a smart player and was in such a winning environment in, in college. And is just he, the reason he's compared to Draymond is because he just plays winning basketball that I think him playing with Draymond and with Steph would actually end up making his value even more. And he would be a nice piece for any second unit, but Draymond was a nice piece for their second unit until David Lee got hurt. And then he stepped in the starting lineup and became a huge figure in their starting lineup. I think Pascal could be that again. If you end up starting someone like McKinney, I think you're going to lose a lot in that um, unless McKinney takes a huge step up. But to not have any strong defender out there except Draymond um, and, and your center ends up making it where they're very vulnerable then against perimeter players that are good. And the West is now loaded with perimeter talent. So when you're facing Harden and Westbrook, if they're being guarded by Russell and Curry, you're in a lot of trouble. So I'm not suggesting someone like Pascal or even McKinney is a, the answer there, but you need somebody who can play defense. And so, um, yeah, my, my, the, I'm with you in that. My hope is that Pascal develops quickly and yeah. that he can kind of, that his growth can kind of accelerate under the tutelage of Draymond. Well, and, and I think starting him is very similar to when they started Harrison Barnes in that you, you limit what they have to be good at initially. Like he would only have to be good and competent defensively for him to excel in that group because Russell and Curry are going to handle most of the offensive load. Draymond is going to lead the defense. So he doesn't have to be, you know, responsible to be the best defender on the floor. He would have to take some, uh, some perimeter guys at times that he'd be overmatched against, but he'd be able to get help in that way from Draymond or Looney or whoever. And, uh, and I think if, if you did start Pascal, I think you would also need to start Looney because I think his, ability to be versatile defensively would be that much more important 
and someone like Collie Stein could come in off the bench, play with Russell and play some pick and roll and, and have, you know, be able to, to um, create some mismatches that way. And, and I think that would make more sense um, most nights anyway, um, because then you'd have some, some better versatility defensively. And because Pascal can guard multiple positions, I think it would help because Draymond prefers to be able to be more of a center fielder. And I think he'd be able to do that better if it's, if someone like Pascal could start and he might not be able to a rookies very rarely are able to just jump right in and start. But, um, but I think that would be the, the best case scenario for the Warriors. And I still think they could be as high as a two, um, a two seed, even with clay out, but it, it's certainly going to be difficult because it's going to be night in night out of just, you know, absolute, uh, you know, 15 round knockout fights with some of these teams in the West. Yeah. And one of the things that kind of worries me a little bit is I'm hoping that Curry doesn't overexert himself by taking too much of the load and get himself injured because he does have an injury history. And this is a scenario that could perhaps, you know, play into that vulnerability. So I'm hoping that, you know, that they kind of rein that part of him in just a little bit, you know, because this is not a season where we have to, I mean, you're, you're, the goal is to win every game. So I get that. But at the same time, the, the, the players that we've got and the, the players that we're going to develop this year, you know, we, I think Curry needs to allow some of that to, to develop so that he's not in a position where he is overexerting himself because that's what leads to injuries, especially for someone like him. So here's a question I have for you guys. What, where does our offense come from? If we, let's say we had a starting lineup that has Draymond, Looney and Pascal. Are we, are we really just going to depend on Steph and Russell to basically take the brunt of the offensive load? I mean, that is, we have no KD, no clay. And I get that we know we have Russ, we have Russell. Now we have D'Lo, but he is, He's not KD or Clay. So where how how do we offensively win these games, Candlestick? Well, where where's the where's the advantage to starting those three those three defenders and just having those two um, offensive weapons? Well, I, I think one of the things you've seen from Curry over the years, whether it's you know whether it's getting guys like Clay and Durant going in a game, or whether it's trying to get you know lobs to Damian Jones early when he had to start, you know, or who or whoever was starting, you know. Uh, Steph has become pretty, you know, famous, I would say, for not looking for his shot initially and trying to get other guys involved in the first few minutes of the game. And I think that that is going to be a huge part of what this team will be, is that he's going to get his points and he's going to score in all four quarters and he'll be playing. He might not necessarily take six minutes off in the second quarter and six minutes off in the fourth like he um, has been the last five years. He might have to play a little bit more or maybe even play a little bit less in the first quarter, let D'Angelo Russell take over at point guard and, and try and get some of the offensive load from guys like Poole, uh, Burks, and Robinson. But I, I think that Curry's going to try and get Pascal easy shots. He's going to try and get McKinney easy shots or whoever ends up starting that small forward position. He's going to try to get Looney some easy looks and Collie Stein some lobs and those kind of things and try and get points from other places so that if he suddenly has uh, some uh, some plays in a row where he's getting two or three wide open threes, that that's just a part of their offense, but it's not the only thing they're doing. Because I think that's the one thing we've seen in the last five years is when the Warriors tend to struggle, Curry's actually doing all the offense. 
he's trying to score on every possession. And when they're the most dangerous is when Curry's hit a couple shots and then he's looking for his teammates. And now the defense is scrambling because they're definitely afraid that Curry's going to get another shot off. And meanwhile, he finds a wide open clay or a wide open Durant or whoever it was. Now he doesn't have that luxury of having elite shooters around him outside of um, Russell, who's pretty damn good. And that's where I think guys like Poole and, um, and Robinson and Burks come in is because their Warriors bench has been, you know, famously thin offensively the last few years. And those three ads are all better offensively than defensively. So, you know, Robinson's able to, to shoot from the way he shot in Indiana, where he was shooting 39%. And Poole clearly showed, is shown he can, he can be a volume shooter and, and come up big in moments in college, which is, he's already seen flashes of that in the summer league. And then Alec Burks has always been able to get his, get his points when he's been on the floor, no matter where he's played in the NBA. So I think that's going to be a big part of it, too, is those guys being able to do more offensively than we got from guys like Livingston, Migadala, and other guys that were coming off the bench for us in recent years. Because, you know, David West wasn't much of an offensive threat. Jonas Recto wasn't much of an offensive threat. Zaza Pachulia wasn't much of an offensive threat. You know, they're we've had a lot of guys who played key playoff minutes who, you know, weren't very good offensively. So we're very young and very inexperienced with the guys we have, but they can work, you know, what better way to get better as an offensive player than having Steph and Draymond on the floor with you. Very true. Raymond, I got a fun game for, I know I want to hear both your thoughts, but Ray, I want to start with you. Top. Let's go. Just, Way too early, based on everything that's happened up to today, top four teams, one th- rank the West, one through four. Who's, who, who's the favorite down to the, four, the, fourth, the top four teams in, in the West right now? I'd say Clippers, probably the top seed. And then it's probably a, gosh, this is tough. I think it's a toss-up between the Lakers on paper and Houston on paper, and then the Warriors at the four spot, and then five. Well, you said top four, right? Yeah, top four. Yeah, I'm gonna, I'll leave it there. Yeah, yeah top I, four. I, I, yeah, I think top you four. Can, I just... you wouldn't you wouldn't be wrong either way between the two and the three, but going between Houston and LA. Although, you know, I could, I think the Warriors are better than Houston, so. I'm going to put Houston at four, and then I'm going to give the Warriors uh, the the fight between three and two that's interchangeable with L.A. just on paper now because LeBron and A.D. is a pretty pretty potent duo defensively and offensively. Oh, for sure. Okay, Candlestick will top four teams in the West. Okay, so I, I did a like a power rankings a while back you know, way long ago when Kawhi and Paul George trades happened, um, you know, many moons ago from an NBA offseason perspective. Oh yeah. And, uh, <laughs> and I, and when I did that, I'm, I'm, I'm trying to pull it up right now, but I'm pretty sure I had it Clippers, Warriors, Nuggets, Blazers as my top four. And the Lakers hadn't made some of the moves that they've made since. Um, and obviously the, the Rockets hadn't, made this trade so the Rockets are clearly a better team as well um now I I would say 
I would say that you, it's, it's be hard to put the Nuggets and Blazers still ahead of the Lakers and Rockets. Um, at this point now with some of the pieces added, I know Avery Bradley's not the same defender he used to be, but adding a player like that, that was a good pickup. That was a good pickup to what the Lakers have. And when I, and I, and and I, I'm almost positive that when I made the, the, um, the rankings on Twitter, I don't think cousins had signed with the Lakers yet either. And, you know, as much as I want Cousins to do well, I don't necessarily want him to do well for the Lakers. But um, <laughs> the the year he had with the Warriors and how much and how much that the injuries he's had, you know, derailed some of the things he was hoping to do. You know, I'm, I'm I am still pulling for that guy, and uh, and I'll forever be a Javale McGee stand. So as long as he's uh, as long as he's out there, I'm still going to root for him. But um, you know, there there's some crazy decisions the Lakers are still making bringing back Rondo and JaVale and yeah. some of the some, some of the guys that they are but they they are so damn top heavy with two of the five best players in the world that it's really hard to not have them higher um now with all the pieces they have so I had like I said I had Clippers Warriors Nuggets Blazers but I think uh, I'm gonna have to go with um the four the same four teams now um and go and I'll I'd, I'll still go with the Warriors too but I think the Lakers are now three and the Rockets are now four. Interesting. So you guys are the same. I am, I actually, I'm where I'm really torn. I have Clippers one, Lakers two. I'm really tor- torn at the three and four seed. I'm just not sure. There's so many questions about this new look Warriors team and about the new look Rockets. I'm not really sure. I still think those are the four teams, the best four teams in the West. I, you're, you definitely, those are some other great additions, and you're right. I really have a hard time putting Utah or Portland in that top four spot, in, in the top four, just given all, everything and how, how much the, the, the top four teams we've mentioned, how much they've changed and how much they've done to try and improve in areas that they were really lacking. Having said that, I don't know where the Warriors where they stand. That's where my choice is. I I think you guys are a little bit higher on them. I'm not down on the Warriors. I'm more of a, I need to wait and see. I've got to see there's, I just have so many questions and you know, we're sitting here hypothesizing. They can go so many different ways in Steve Kerr. We trust, and I definitely trust him 100%, but I'm just not sure where they land in my, like just depending on my mood throughout today, I was going, all right, does this put the Warriors at three? Does it put the Rockets at three? Does it put the Rockets at four? Does it put the Warriors at four? I don't fully know. So this is going to be interesting. I'm, I'm, I'm really, really curious, but that's what, that would be my ranking. So kind of like yours, Raymond, I'm a little muddled between, uh, you were muddled between second and third. I'm muddled between third and fourth. I have the Warriors somewhere between the third spot and the fourth spot. And I, I think Clippers and Lakers, as much as I hate to put the Lakers on there, I, I, I talked about this at, on uh, on the last episode on Tuesday. I was like, oh, God, I just can't stand the Lakers. They're just so obnoxious. Well, their fans are, are really the most obnoxious thing ever. <laughs> yeah, if I'm, if I'm being fair, I had just because yeah. AD and LeBron on paper, it's just, you know, it's just like how the Warriors have been the last five years. I mean, that's a nasty squad. And and as much as I wanted, I was really kind of hoping they wouldn't do much. Danny Green was a great pickup. Avery Bradley, like you said, not the defender he was, but still a sneaky good pickup. Boogie Cousins, good pickup. You know, they, they rounded out that team better than I expected them to. I, I was, with each new signing, I was like, damn, 
I'm getting annoyed by these signings. These are guys I don't want on that team. These are all guys I was hoping were going to get signed elsewhere. But I still think that I still think a Kawhi Leonard led Clippers team is better. It's a deeper bench, better coach, better organization, and I, I just think they have the tools to to knock off the Lakers. And I would love nothing more than to see LeBron lose. And I hope he never goes back to the the finals. That's just a tangent, but I really do. I hope he never never goes back. All right, gentlemen. Any final thoughts, Candlestick? Well, any final thoughts before we sign off? So I, I'm I'm going to throw out a question to you guys. I mean, I, I I you know teased the idea of like a Bradley Beal trade or a Kevin Love trade, but like, who's the next? What's the next big domino? Like, you know, if we assume that that Chris Paul's going somewhere else, then then like, what's the next? What what would be your guess is like the next big player that's going to either be traded or demand a trade because i mean that's the thing that's crazy like i was looking at these these numbers you know five of the 10 all-stars that started last year in the all-star game are gone like they're on different teams eight eight all-stars from last year are on different teams like it's insane all this player movement but then with the paul george demanding a trade and then because of that westbrook asking for a trade anthony davis demanding a trade like um Kawhi leonard you know demanding a trade from the spurs like it, this, this league is just completely gone, you know, batshit crazy. And somebody, one of the things I just saw on, on Twitter was that someone had posted the lineups of the 2017 all-star game. And there's like seven players that are still on their current teams. And two of those guys are John Wall and Kevin Love. And three of those guys are our, are our guys, Steph, Clay, and Draymond. Mm-hmm. So it's like, and then most of these guys have been are, are moved twice. Like, you know, Paul George was a pacer then, you know, and Millsap was on the Hawks and, you know, um, DeAndre Jordan was a Clipper. You know, it's like, you know, DeMarcus Cousins was a king. Like, I mean, it's it's kind of funny when you look at these and you're like, oh, yeah, Kyrie Irving was on the Cavs. <laughs> like, I mean, as, as silly as that might sound, it's like, oh, Butler was on the Chicago Bulls. You know, it's like this it's this league is just insane. So like, what's the next domino to fall? Like, what would you guys say? Ray, who do you think? I've, I've got a couple, but I want to, I want to hear, I want to hear what you think, Ray. I honestly don't know. I'm just not sure at this point. I think, you know, uh, Chris Paul, we can kind of put him, put him out of the equation because we know that that's a piece that's going to go somewhere. We just don't know where and if it'll happen. It really depends on what teams need, who needs them more. I, I you know, I think you hit the nail on the head, you know, putting the heat out there, and Woj certainly confirmed that shortly after uh, announcing the uh, after we got the Russell trade. So, you know, I think um, I'm not sure what big name is left to move of of who's available. You know, I don't even know who's available at this point. You know, because uh, some guys are signed, but you know, they they might get moved anyways. You know, no no player is safe in the NBA. Uh, unlike you know, I mean, baseball tends to move one or two big pieces a year football moves, you know, a handful, you know, less than a handful each season, but the NBA is like a dozen every season. So it's, it's hard to, it's hard to nail it down for me. I'm, I'm torn. Cause I don't know. I think we're going to see a whole lot of, you know, I think obviously role players are going to move and bat, uh, bench players, but I don't know who the next big name is that's going to drop. I feel like all the big names are done. I feel like this is the last one 
and everything that comes after this is going to be like a former big name, like a Chris Paul or something like that. But as far as, you know, active in their prime player movement goes, I think that's, I think we've, we saw the last of it today. You know, I, I thought that like three different times though. (laughs) Uh, I'll say, I think Kevin Love, I was, I've been thinking about him. I'm wondering, you know, somebody's got to be sniffing around Cleveland. Someone's sniffing around Cleveland going, hey, 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 what, what about Kevin Love? Another a team, not necessarily a player, but a team that I'm surprised hasn't been involved in a trade and I think still may be primed for a trade is the Toronto Raptors. Toronto Raptors have been very quiet for the most part. And I, they've got a, they got a real sneaky GM over there. And I, I, I am, that is a team that I would not be surprised if they made a splash move. Maybe not even now, maybe, maybe in January or February, but I would say that the team to look out for, I think is the Raptors because they've just been so quiet. I would not be surprised if they did something. And I wouldn't be surprised if Kevin Love was one of the next big dominoes. What do you think? Candlestick will. Well, I think uh, the Raptors, I mean, they've got like $90 million of expiring contracts with Lowry and Gasol and Ibaka and Van Vliet. So they're, they, I mean, I, I wouldn't be, I wouldn't be surprised if some big move happened with them where they sent like Lowry and Ibaka to a team that was trying to, you know, compete for a championship for, you know, a couple first round picks and some, you know, young pieces or whatever to, to have some better fits for Siakam, you know, someone like Van Vliet, you know, essentially could be the guy that stays and Lowry's the one that goes after this season. So uh, Van Vliet, Siakam led team with some other pieces might end up being what they do in the future. But I could also see them just kind of riding the season out, enjoying the championship, giving themselves a year to breathe and then letting all that cap space um, dissipate so that they can just go after whoever they want in the off season or just, save it for the following season when uh, Giannis and uh, 20 other guys are going to be free agents. Uh, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but, uh, but yeah, I mean, I'm, I'm looking at the, the tops, you know, the top players in the league and, you know, Carl Anthony Towns, you know, may decide I don't want to be in Minnesota anymore. Cause that's what guys have always done is at some point, you know, Kevin Garnett and Kevin Love and any other, you know, Marbury, any other good players ever played in Minnesota finally gets tired of Minnesota. Um, you know, Andrew Wiggins is a great player, but he's, you know, not, I mean, he's getting paid an obscene amount of money for a guy who doesn't seem to want to get better. So, you know, he might get moved because some coach thinks, thinks they can rehabilitate him. But, um, you know, he's a guy who's certainly got talent that could end up being on the move. Um, CJ McCollum, you know, I know he loves it in Portland and Dame loves playing with him, but at some point, their GM might decide, you know, we eventually we need to get a guy like Clay, um, you know, next to our Steph versus having, you know, a Monte Ellis who can, you know, s- score at will but doesn't really have the defense to pair with Dame. They've, uh, they've got one more year together unless they, like, really just do awful. Then right. I can see them, you know, moving on from prob- – they'll move on from CJ. They, they obviously – Dame is the guy. Well, the other the other guys I'm seeing on this on this list, you know, whether it's, you know, this Devin Booker pulling an Eric Bledsoe and wanting to get out of Phoenix, um, Blake Griffin, you know, maybe deciding, you know, get me out of Detroit and t- take me somewhere else. Uh, DeMar DeRozan might decide he 
he wants to go somewhere else other than San Antonio, although most guys tend to like San Antonio. Drew Holiday's not necessarily going to like um, a, a rebuild in, in New Orleans. So if, if they end up playing like a team with a bunch of rookies, then he might want out. And, you know, so, I mean, there's, there's a lot of guys that, um, that could end up still being moved. Um, but, you know, it'll, it'll be interesting because those, those are the guys that I see, you know, Andre Drummond, you know, has a big contract and doesn't necessarily play to that contract. So he might want to go somewhere where, you know, he's paired with someone better. Um, but yeah, I mean, there's, there's going to be a lot of player movement, I think still as crazy as that sounds considering all the, all the people that have already moved, but yeah, I definitely think Raptors need to do something because they don't have any star power. So the chances of repeating are slim to none, especially yeah. with who, who's, especially how the other their competition has, you know, kind of reloaded themselves. Well, that that GM certainly has, you know, a lifetime pass by finally getting a championship. That if he decides to do nothing and let the fans just go to home games and cheer for their their champions, you know, I think they'll be fine with that. And if they let them all go in the off season, they'll be fine with that too. But he's also the guy that decided to, you know, trade a, a fan favorite in DeRozan for Kawhi Leonard, which was right. one, of the, one of the riskiest trades of all time. And now is going to go down as maybe the greatest trade ever. And so when you have that on your resume, you can't put it past them to want to do it again. And they, they had tried to, to package guys, you know, to get Paul George and Kawhi Leonard, um, to come to, to come to Toronto. So they were in those conversations and at least, and at least, you know, thought about making those moves. And Kyle Lowry was almost traded um, at the trade deadline when they went out and got uh, Marcus soul. Cause they were gonna, trying to get Marcus soul and Mike Conley. So it's not, there's, there's, I don't think there's any reason just to think that Kyle Lowry is definitely staying. Um, I don't think him, Gasol or Ibaka are, for sure, staying. I think all three of them are playing their last their last games in Toronto this year, um, one way or the other. So if if all three of them are in, on expirings and not going to stay, then there's also no reason not to look into trading them. Yeah, I agree. Hundred percent. Go Ray. Go for it. No, that that was pretty much it. Candlestick <laughs> <laughs> will. You couldn't have said it better myself. I, you're making my job easier. <laughs> well, that's what that's what this is all about, right? It's trying to trying to uh, put a put a lid on all these these topics so we can move on to the next, right? <laughs> yes, we have uh we have a a a much more complicated sport on the horizon. With uh you know I know Rudy I know you mentioned earlier in the week Jimmy G's health is looking good, and of course we have you know the the comparison between George Kittle and and Gronkowski which I think I can't think of a better comparison that Jimmy G made so he's definitely he loves they both love wrestling they're both eccentric they're both extroverted and boisterous personalities so uh it, you know I think George Kittle's definitely you know uh someone that could become the next Gronk I just hope the injury part doesn't come with it <laughs> me too and we'll definitely talk more about that on Sunday so concludes another edition of the Gold Cast. We are the voice of the Bay. I'm your host, Rudy Salisa Third, and with me is my brother, my co-host, Raymond Salisa First, baby. And our esteemed co-host, Candle Stick Will. Boom! We'll see you next time. Same Gold Cast time. Same Gold Cast. This is, is the Gold Cast.